0: and welcome to bookish babbles the podcast where we reread our favorite books and chat about them i'm your host allison and without further ado let's get started everyone and welcome to episode 28 of bookish babbles today we are talking about chapters 13 to 15 of catching fire by suzanne collins Woo! so just a couple housekeeping things before we get started so next week's episode is going to be a bonus episode because uh this coming weekend is my birthday and i want to do as little as possible (laughs) i just i just want to be chill and have fun and plus my friend Maddie is coming to visit uh we're going to New York to see a couple shows so I'll be having really fun but you know busy and I don't want to add prepping for an episode on top of it so yeah and I might vlog about it on my YouTube channel as well so be on the lookout for that but anyway um yes I pre-recorded the bonus episode with Sarah yesterday it's the uh, one that won the poll and it's her um original tag which is a five seconds of summer book tab so tab a five seconds of summer book tag so definitely check it out um she put a lot of thought into the questions and 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 they were really good and I put very little effort into my answers (laughs) because I literally like scroll through my goodreads like five minutes before she and i recorded to try to think of some books to answer the questions for because i was very chaotic yesterday apparently and i think that reflects in how i acted while recording with sarah so y'all get to hear that next week (laughs) Uh, yeah but yeah uh yeah that's mainly what i needed to cover so with that being said uh let's get into the episode Alright, so last week, uh, Bonnie and Twill uh, tell Katniss all about the uprising in District 8 and their plans to find District 13 because they think it wasn't really destroyed. Uh, The electricity on the fence was turned on and Katniss injured herself while getting over it. So she has to rest and we get some nice Everlark fluff. And for the quarter quail, Katniss will have to go back into the arena. So this week... Uh, Katniss, Peeta, and Haymitch have a training montage. Once again Katniss and Peeta will be tributes in the Hunger Games and we get to meet their competition. So with that being said, let's get into chapter 13. So this chapter picks up right where the last one left off. We get to see Katniss's reaction to the Quarter Quell announcement and she understandably does not take it very well. Uh, She runs out of the house and instinctively heads to the woods before remembering that the electricity on the fence is still on. Then Katniss winds up in the cellar of one of the empty houses in the Victor's village, having no idea how she got there. But whatever, uh, it's a good spot to have a breakdown, I think. And she stuffs some of her shirt in her mouth and screams, understandably, needing to let out some distress and hysteria to the point where her voice is almost gone, as any of us would. And as I said last episode, like I could not believe that twist the first time I read it because when I first read Catching Fire, it was before even the first movie came out. I didn't see trailers for Catching Fire, the movie. I had no reason to believe that Katniss would have have to go back into the arena. I, like, I fully expected her to be a mentor and I was worried that it would somehow lead to Prim going into the arena. But no, here we are. And as Katniss points out in the text... It's kind of a genius move on Snow's part because we're all expecting some kind of, you know, public humiliation and or execution or for someone she loves to be punished in that way. But this makes it look like it's not Snow directly killing or punishing Katniss because, you know, it's the Hunger Games. It's just what was written in the chatta Oopsie daisies, what can you do? Um, but I think most of us in the fandom agree that it was totally rigged. Um, including Katniss. Like, she, she's like 99.999% sure that it was rigged because, you know, it's just a little bit too perfect scenario for Snow uh, just being able to get rid of Katniss like this. Plus, I feel if there was going to be a year where victors are reaped again, um, it would be a year that was like really big, like the 100th Hunger Games or something, because 75 just doesn't quite feel as big for that kind of thing yet but yeah glad we agreed that it was totally rigged and once again snow sucks and there's a really good passage that starts toward the bottom of page 175 that i just want to read to you guys real quick yes victors are our strongest they're the ones who survive the arena and slip the noose of poverty that strangles the rest of us they or should i say we are the very embodiment of hope where there is no hope And now 23 of us will be killed to show how even that hope it was an illusion. I'm glad I won only last year. Otherwise, I know all the other victors, not just because I see them on television, but because they're guests at every games. Even if they're not mentoring like Hamich always has to, most return to the capital each year for the event. I think a lot of them are friends. Whereas the only friend I'll have to worry about killing will be either Peta or Hamich. And after this, Katniss sort of snaps back to her senses and remembers that either Haymitch or Peta are gonna go into the arena with her, and that Peta, being Peta, will ask Haymitch to let him go into the arena again with Katniss. And Katniss finds her way out of the house, even notices a broken glass window, but doesn't remember breaking it. But she must have, because there's blood on her hands, literally. Um, and, But th- that's, you know, unimportant right now. Uh, time to go talk to Haymitch. Unsurprisingly, he's drunk, sitting in his kitchen table with a half-empty bottle of liquor and his knife, and, you know, I just have to read the conversation because conversations between Katniss and Haymitch are just, you know, (laughs) top-tier great moments. So it starts toward the bottom of page 176 with Haymitch saying, Ah, there she is, I'll tuckered out, finally did the math, did you, sweetheart? "'Worked out you won't be going in alone, and now you're here to ask me what?' he says. "'I don't answer. The window's wide open and the wind cuts through, me, uh, ju- cuts through me just as if I were outside. "'I'll admit it. It was easier for the boy. He was here before I could snap the seal on a bottle, begging me for another chance to go in. But what can you say?' He mimics my voice take his place hamish because all things being equal i'd rather peter had a crack at the re- yeah i'd rather peter had a crack at the rest of his life than you i bit my lip because once he said it i'm afraid that's what i do want for peter to live even if it means hamish's death no i don't he's dreadful of course but hamish is my family now what did i come for i think what could i possibly want here i came for a drink i say Hamish bursts out laughing and slams the bottle on the table before me. I run my sleeve across the top and take a couple gulps before I come up choking. It takes a few minutes to compose myself, and even then my eyes and nose are still stre- streaming. But inside me the liquor feels like fire, I li- and I like it. "'Maybe it should be you,' I say matter-of-factly as I pull up a chair. "'You hate life anyway.' "'Very true,' says Hamish. And since last time I tried to keep you alive, seems like I'm obliged to save the boy this time. That's another good point, I say, wiping my nose and tipping up the bottle again. Peta's argument is that since I chose you, now I owe him anything he wants, and what he wants is the chance to go in again to protect you, says Hamish. I knew it. In this way, Peta's not hard to predict— While I was wallowing around on the floor of that cellar, thinking only of myself, he was here thinking only of me. Shame isn't a strong enough word for what I feel. You could live a hundred lifetimes and not deserve him, you know, Hamish says. Yeah, yeah, I say. No question, he's the superior one in this trio. So what are you going to do? I don't know, Hamish sighs. Go back in with you, maybe, if I can? If my name's drawn at the reaping, it won't matter. He'll just volunteer to take my place. We sit for a while in silence. "'It'd be bad for you in the arena, wouldn't it? Knowing all the others?' I ask. "'Oh, I think we can count on it being unbearable wherever I am.' He nods at the bottle. "'Can I have that back now?' "'No,' I say, wrapping my arms around it. Hamish pulls another bottle out from under the table and and gives the top a twist.' But I realize I'm not just here for a drink. There's something else I want from Hamish. Okay, I figured out what I'm asking, I say. If if it is Peta and me in the games, this time we try to keep him alive. Something flickers across his bloodshot eyes. Pain. Like you said, it's going to be bad no matter how you slice it. And whatever Peta wants, it's his turn to be saved. We both owe him that. My voice takes on a pleading tone. Besides, the capital hates me so much, I'm as good as dead now. He still might have a chance. Please, Hamish, say you'll help me. He frowns at his bottle, weighing my words. All right, he, he says finally. Thanks, I say. This whole scene is just so... Ah! That that was a word. <laughs> but I know I say a lot that Katniss cannot catch a break, but neither can Hamish. Like... He won't say it out loud, but he really loves Katniss and Peeta. Like, he probably didn't let himself get too attached during the 74th games, because, you know, he knew it was still unlikely that one of them could make it out. Then once they both won, they were supposed to be safe from the reaping, so he could start to feel attached to them. Now, Haymitch is definitely going to lose at least one of them, or die himself. Either way, it's an extremely shitty situation. Fuck you, Snow. Anyway, uh, Katniss goes home and Gale is there, uh, not who I would want to see right now, and now he admits that Katniss was right about running away, like, yeah, no shit, Gale, get with the program here, and the next morning, Katniss has a killer hangover, because, of course, and the first thing she does when waking up is running to the bathroom, because, you know, it comes back up the other way, but you get the picture, um, When Katniss uh, gets in the shower, it takes her a minute to notice that she is still wearing her clothes and also there are stitches on her hand. Meaning that her mother at some point in the night took care of her, which makes me so happy because some of my favorite moments in this series are just the moments where someone does something to take care of Katniss because as I've said many times, Katniss was a child who had to grow up much too quickly after her father died And she seems to have like this deep-seated belief that people don't like her, no one will take care of her, so she has to be self-sufficient all the time. And yet this is constantly being disproven. Anyway, after showering, Katniss crawls back into bed and and then she hears her mother and Prim coming up and she's not ready to face them. Yet, not unless she can pull herself together. And I'm going to read this passage that's on page 180 because it got me emotional. I'm not ready to see my mother and Prim. I have to pull myself together to be calm and reassuring the way I was when we said our goodbyes the day of the last reaping. I have to be strong. I struggle into an upright position, push my wet hair off my throbbing temples, and brace myself for this meeting. They appear in the doorway, holding tea and toast, their faces filled with concern. I open my mouth, planning to start off with some kind of joke and burst into tears. So much for being strong. Again, this this just reminds us that Katniss's life sucked even before going into the Hunger Games because after her dad died, she was the parent of the household. And she's had to be strong for so long and the one to take care of the family. And again, she was 11 years old. So it's really nice now to see her family taking care of her in this moment. And also Katniss also takes this moment to marvel at how much prim has grown in the last nine months which yes it's only been nine months since the last hunger games and uh already time to get back into all that shit but anyway yes prim has grown like physically and mentally like she's almost as tall as katniss is now and Prim is just, you know, generally more mature, both from, you know, the trauma of having to watch her big sister go through the Hunger Games and the recent crackdowns in 12. Because remember, Prim helps her mother heal all the people being abused by the peacekeepers because apparently Mrs. Everdeen is the only doctor in town. But yeah, that's a lot for anyone to deal with, much less a 13-year-old. Oh wait, how old is she at this point? Uh, hold on, pause to Google. Uh, yeah, so according to Google, uh, Prim's birthday is May 11th. Also, Katniss's birthday is on May 8th, so the Everdeens have a thing for May birthdays, apparently. Uh, so the Quarter Quell announcement is, like, three months before the games, and we know, uh, from Ballad that the Reaping takes place on July 4th, so it's currently April. Okay, so Prim's still 12 and Katniss is still sixteen. Okay, glad we got that sorted out. So yeah, a lot for a 12-year-old. Moving on. All right, so Katniss takes a mug of broth over to Haymitch, and he's only just waking up, and the two of them sit there quietly. And then Peeta comes in, apparently having been upstairs the whole time. And we find out that he poured all of Haymitch's liquor down the drain and even paid off Ripper to not sell Haymitch or Katniss anymore. Cause, and even went as far as to threaten to report her to the peacekeepers. Uh, so Pete has switched from nice, caring friend to hard ass coach, apparently. And insisting that one of them is going to make it out of the arena, so they're going to start acting like careers. And it's kind of interesting uh, between the three of them to see how they react to the quarter Quell news, because Catus and Hamish kind of wallow a bit. Like, I don't think they want to do anything until the reaping, but. Peta is very driven to do anything and everything in his power to make sure that Katniss and Hamish survive. And I mean, as he puts it, one of us is going to be Victor again, whether you two like it or not. And then he storms out of the room, slamming the front door behind him, like Loki drama king, apparently. I don't know. Maybe he's just been hanging out with Hamish and Katniss too much. And I like the brief conversation they have after Peta leaves. So Katniss says, I don't like self-righteous people. Hamish replies, "What's the like? You, you and me, that's who he plans on coming home." Well, then the joke's on him. And cue the training montage. Um they do like I I really like training montages in movies. It's kind of sad it's not in the Catching Fire movie, though I understand why it isn't there. But still, you know, it would have been cool to see. So anyway, so during this training montage, um, they do exercises to strengthen their bodies, including running and lifting heavy things. They work on combat skills, throwing knives, practicing hand-to-hand combat. Katniss even teaches them to climb trees. Uh, Mrs. Everdeen puts them on a diet to help them gain weight, prim-tends their sore muscles, and Madge even sneaks them copies of her father's Capitol newspapers. And another thing they do to prepare is to watch the tapes of past Hunger Games that Effie has sent them, and that way they can study and get to know their potential competition. And while they're doing this, Katniss realizes that she and Peeta never got to meet any of the other victors while on tour. And Hamish says the reason being because Snow wouldn't want her being seen connecting with them since, you know, Victors are Pan Am celebrities. And, you know, seeing Victors get along with Katniss could encourage people to be more, you know, rebellious in certain districts. Ooh, And overall, Katniss kind of likes the training, mostly because it gives her something to do other than, you know, wallow. Uh, Hamish, on the other hand isn't reacting to it so well which isn't that surprising given the years of drinking an excessive am- amount of alcohol but he's still physically very strong but he can't run very far without getting winded which I feel on a deep level <laughs> and despite sleeping with a knife his aim is apparently very bad I mean it's also probably doesn't help that his hand te- hands tend to shake due to, you know, the sudden and aggressive alcohol withdrawal. And even Gail's being helpful for once in this book. Um, He teaches them all he can about snares during his days off, although he still makes the comment about how things would be easier if it was easy to hate PETA, which I take as proof that it's impossible to hate PETA, because even Gale has a hard time finding fault with him. And... And both the both boys have enough sense to put their differences aside to help Katniss which good job they both achieved the bare minimum <laughs> and Katniss also agrees with uh, Gail's statement that if Peeta was easy to hate then he could have died in the arena and she would come home and they would be uh, and they wouldn't be in the very big mess they're currently in and then Gail poses the question where would we be Uh, Katniss says out loud that they would still be hunting in the woods like every Sunday but uh, she knows and we know that's you know not what Gales was asking and and uh she isn't sure that you know if she would even be open up to Gale that way because even before the reaping as we know Katniss never wanted to get married and have children because she wouldn't want to risk them going into the games and she only got engaged to save people's lives and that clearly backfired and there's like a page and a half left of the chapter so I'm just gonna read it cuz stuff happens I'm afraid, anyway, that any kind of emotional scene with Gale might cause him to do something drastic, like start that uprising in the mines, and as Haymitch says, District 12 isn't ready for that. If anything, they're less ready than before the quarter quell announcement because the following morning another hundred peacekeepers arrived on the train. Since I don't plan on making it back alive a second time, the sooner Gale lets me go the better. I do plan on saying one or two things to him after the reaping, when we're allowed an hour for goodbyes. To let Gail know how essential he's been to me all these years, how much better my life has been for knowing him, for loving him, even even if it's only in the limited way that I can manage, but I never get the chance. The day of the reapings, hot and, and sultry, the population of District 12 waits, sweating and silent, in the square with machine guns trained on them. I stand alone in a small roped-off area with Peta and Hamish in a similar pen to the right of me. The reaping takes only a minute. Effie, shining in a new wig of metallic gold, lacks her usual verve. She has to claw around the girl's reaping ball for quite a while to snag the one piece of paper that everyone already knows has my name on it. Then she catches Hamish's name. He barely has time to shoot me an unhappy look before Peta has volunteered to take his place. We are immediately marched into the justice building to find a head peacekeeper thread waiting for us new procedure he says with a smile we're ushered out the back door into a car and taken to the train station there are no cameras on the platform no crowd to send us on our way hamich and effie appear escorted by guards peacekeepers hurry us all onto the train and slam the door the wheels begin to turn and I'm left staring out the window, watching District 12 disappear with all my goodbyes still hanging on my lips. So, Snow continues to be a dick, as usual. I mean, I'm kind of glad we were spared having to read the goodbye between Katniss and Gale, but I'm pissed we didn't at least get one more scene with Madge, because, you know. Anyway, time for a break. We are back, back on the train, on our way to the capital, back in the games. Okay, so I'm going to read the first bit of the chapter because once again, Suzanne is showing off what a good writer she is. The nerve. I remain at the window long after the woods have swallowed up the last glimpse of my home. This time I don't even have the slightest hope of return. Before my first games, I promised Prim I would do everything I could to win, and now I've sworn myself to do all I can to keep Peta alive. I will never reverse this journey again. I'd actually figured out what I wanted my last words to my loved ones to be, how, to, how best to close and lock the door, the doors and leave them sad but safely behind, and now the capital has stolen that as well. We'll write letters, Katniss, says Peta, from behind me, it will be better anyway. Give them a piece of us to hold on to. Hamish will deliver them for us if, if they need to be delivered. I nod and go straight to my room. I sit on the bed, knowing I will never write those letters. They will be like the speech I tried to write to honor Rue and Thresh in District 11. Things seem clear in my head and even when I talk before the crowd, but the words never came out out of the pen right, because they were meant to go with embraces and kisses and a stroke of Prim's hair, a caress of Gale's face, a squeeze of Madge's hand. They cannot be delivered with a wooden box containing my cold, stiff body. So I know we're supposed to think of Gale as Katniss's best friend, but... I think Madge is actually her best friend. Anyway, uh... Katniss pulls herself together in order to stay focused on her mission of, you know, keeping PETA alive and making sure he's the victor and just in time for dinner. Though the meal is subdued, which includes long stretches of silence. Uh, Peta and Effie try to make small talk. Uh, Peta compliments her new hair, which is gold now. Effie had it done that way in order to match Katniss's pin. And she mentions wanting to get something gold for Hamish and Peta as well. So they look like a team. And I think when I read the books for the first time, like this was the moment that made me really start to like Effie because... When we first meet her, we think of her as, you know, just the brainwashed capital person who loves the Hunger Games and has no problems with kids dying every year. Um, so now we really start to see her humanity a bit more and- cause after uh, Katniss and Peeta won the year before, she probably let herself- herself start to feel attached to them. Like Hamich did. Oh, hi Ray. My- my dog jumped up on the couch to join me. Um, what was I saying? oh yeah, uh, Effie feeling attached to Pete and Katniss, um, but, and now they're going back into the arena again, um, and she even refuses to have wine when she sees the effort Hamage is putting in, like, if that's not what a friend does, I don't know what it, what is, and after dinner, they watch, uh, the reaping recaps, uh, according to katniss of the 75 total victors from over the years 59 are still alive possibly 60 if you're like me and you believe that greasy say is lucy gray so yeah anyway um haymitch understandably has a very hard time watching the reaping since many of the victors are his friends and you know can't really do anything to help them uh since as the mentor uh katniss and pita are the only ones he can help Right. And just just like the previous year, only a few tributes stick out in Katniss's mind as she watches the reapings. Uh we got Kashmir and Gloss from District 1 who, by the way, are brother and sister. Like, like can you imagine having to go in with your sibling? Like yikes. Uh then there's Brutus from District 2 who volunteered. He's he's in his 40s and apparently can't wait to get back into the games. I don't, know, I don't know about you guys but it gives off like a uh, guy who peaked in high school and wants to relive his glory days vibe and we get the first mention of Finnick aka the other best man in the whole series uh, if you don't like Finnick then something is wrong with you this isn't an opinion it's a fact <laughs> anyway uh, so he's gonna be in the games and he's the youngest victor ever having won at only 14 years old And as for the District 4 female tribute, uh, originally a young woman is reaped. Uh, We know this is Annie, Finnick's girlfriend, though Katniss doesn't know who this is yet. And Mags volunteers for Annie, Mags who is in her 80s and uses a cane to walk. Reminder, Mags won the 11th Hunger Games exactly one year after Lucy Gray won and it- And it was also the first year that they used a brand new arena that, you know, wasn't the amphitheater in the capital. And I want a book about her games. Because it'd be so interesting just the environment of Panem at the time. And it also means that Mags... Hold on, because she was 16 in the 11th Hunger Games. That means she was 15, I think, when the 10th Hunger Games, a.k.a. when the events of Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes were happening. So she's Three years younger than Coriolanus Snow so that means she was also a child during the dark days when all this was happening seriously what okay yeah a book about Max would be so interesting especially because you know we would have a child who experienced the dark days from you know the district's point of view instead of you know Coriolanus is experience 'cause, because you know he's obviously capital and we know how he turns out anyway um what was I saying Back to the tributes. Um, So Joanna Mason is also reaped. Since like Katniss. She's the only living female victor. In her district. So she was going to have to go back in no matter what. And she's also the tribute that won. By pretending to be weak. So that the other tributes would uh, ignore her. And she was able to catch everyone off guard. And win. Um, Katniss also mentions a woman. From 8 named Cecilia. Who's in her 30s and has 3 kids. Whom she has to detach yourself from and that that's heartbreaking to think about and to make the situation even worse um chaff from 11 who's one of Hamish's closest friends is also reaped um uh the announcers on tv actually get teary when katniss is reaped and PETA volunteers because you know the star-crossed lovers will never have the odds in their favor apparently but they kind of get over it and since you know this will be the best games ever Uh, Hamish leaves after that without a word, and you know, who can blame him? Uh, Peta tells Katniss to get some sleep, though she's very reluctant to since she knows the nightmares are gonna be really bad, but feels too awkward to even ask Peta to sleep with her since after Gale's whipping, she kinda, you know, chose, quote-unquote, to be with him. Uh, besides, Peta wants to stay up and review his notes, and sure enough, Katniss has a nightmare about Mags turning into a rodent and chasing her, so good times. And naturally, she can't go back to sleep, and she goes to find someone who can, you know, make her some kind of beverage. And she ends up getting warm milk, and she finds Peeta in the TV room, watching the Hunger Games episode where Brutus became the victor. And the two of them cuddle on the couch. Aww. Something they haven't done since before the Quarterquill announcement. And just these lines at the bottom of page 193, it, it sums up the feelings in this scene perfectly. Um, warmth radiates from the spot where his lips just touch my neck, slowly spreading through the rest of me. It feels so good, so impossibly good, that I know I will not be the first to let go. I don't think we ever get this level of warmth and comfort from moments with Gale. Uh, then the Capitol attendant comes in with an extra mug of warm milk and lingers for a bit like he wants to say something, but in the end leaves. Uh, Peeta says he thinks that the attendant feels bad for them and that a lot of people in the Capitol won't be happy about victors having to go back into the arena, since they have a tendency to get attached to their favorite victors. Though Katniss is convinced that once the bloodshed starts, the Capitol citizens will get over it and she doesn't have time to worry about the emotions of capital citizens. Uh, Peeta then lets Katniss pick uh, whichever games to watch next and they end up watching Haymitch's games since they never did before for obvious reasons. And because uh, they want to watch an example of a quarter quell and they don't have the tape for the first quarter quell since apparently the victor who won that year has since passed away and Effie only sent them tapes of the people they would potentially have to go up against in the arena. Uh, So the tape starts with President Snow reading the card and announcing what the quarter quell twist will be which is you know double the amount of tributes um, then cuts to the reapings. Um one of the girls that is reaped is in District 12 is Macy Lee Donner and Katniss remembers that that's the name of her mother's friend, the one who died in the Hunger Games. And sure enough, as Macy Lee heads toward the stage, she has to detach herself from two people. One being a young Mrs. Everdeen, of course, and the other is Madge's mother because, remember, Maiselie is Madge's aunt, aka the original owner of Katniss's Mockingjay pin because Maiselie and Madge's mom are twins. And, and, uh, Hamich is the last name called. And Katniss is surprised to see that back in the day, Hamish was handsome. And, and then uh the tape cuts to the parade where the tributes from 12 are wearing ridiculous looking coal miner get because you know these this was the these were the days before cinna uh then cuts to the interviews uh katniss and pita get to watch hamich's full interview since he's the victor and th- the interview is great hold on it's on page 197 let me find it real quick so in the interview caesar asks hamich so Haymitch. What do you think of the games having 100% more competitors than usual, asks Caesar. Hamish shrugs. I don't see that it makes much difference. They'll still be 100% as stupid as usual, so I figure my odds will be roughly the same. The audience burst out laughing, and Hamish gives them a half smile. Snarky, arrogant, indifferent. He didn't have to reach for that, did he? I say. <laughs> Alright, then, cut to, the, cut to the games, and... The tributes are in the most beautiful-looking arena ever. Like it's apparently so pretty that when the gong sounds, like most of the tributes don't even move off their platform since they're so distracted. Uh, Haymitch is one of the few who doesn't, so he's able to grab a pack from the cornucopia and take off without much trouble. Uh, Eighteen tributes are killed in the bloodbath that first day, and then a lot of others die off because almost everything in there in the pretty arena is poisonous. And only the rainwater and food from the cornucopia are safe to consume. Also, the career pack that year is made up of 10 tributes, which just sounds terrifying. Like, I I would not want to have to face them. Uh, Hamish continues to walk away from the mountain and deals with a pack of uh, carnivorous fluffy golden squirrels and butterflies with deadly stings. Uh Lee ends up doing pretty well on her own. She manages to get a small pack from the cornucopia that included a couple dozen darts and using the poison from the plants, uh, she made them pretty effective weapons. Uh, four days into the games, the mountain erupts, meaning that it's actually a volcano and it wipes out a bunch of tributes, including half of the career pack. Uh, Hamage keeps... Heading in the rough, in roughly the same direction when he's unlucky enough to run into three of the career tributes. Uh, but luckily he has a knife and is able to kill two of them. The third one nearly kills him, but Lee, uh takes him out with a poison dart. So saving Hamish's life. And just like that, they're allies. And, st- and just like with uh, Katniss and Peeta, things got easier for Hamish and Macelly once they decided to team up. Uh, they're able to get some more rest, gather rainwater, fight as a team, etc. Um, while doing all this, Haymitch keeps them on the move uh, when Mace Lee asked him why. It's because he wants to see what's at the end of the arena, which makes me wonder, like, how big is this arena? Because I think Katniss's arena, it, like, it would take her, like, two or three days to travel across it, but th- this one just seems much bigger. Uh, anyway, they do eventually get to the edge, though... They had to use a flamethrower to get through the hedges, um, which they got from a dead tribute, and my question is, why didn't they keep it? I mean, it would probably be heavy and awkward to carry around, but still. Uh, anyway, uh, what they find is a cliff. Uh, wants to keep moving, but Hamish wants to stay, so... Maiselie ends up breaking off the alliance since they're down to the top five and she doesn't want her and Haymitch to be the last two tributes standing. Uh, Haymitch agrees and doesn't even turn to look at her as she walks away. Uh, While Haymitch keeps studying the edge, he accidentally kicks a pebble off a cliff and a minute later, the pebble comes back. Uh, So then he throws down a rock the size of his fist and sure enough, it comes back. Hamish laughs and seems excited, but that doesn't last long, because then we hear Maiselie scream, and even though the alliance was broken and no one would blame him for ignoring her, he runs to help her anyway, which just proves that Hamish did genuinely care for Maisley. And, but he's just a little too late, and he gets there in time to see a bird skewer its beak through her throat, so all Hamish can do is hold her hand as she dies, and Katniss can't help but notice how similar the scene is to when she tried to save Rue and was ultimately too late. Uh, in the end, the last uh, two tributes standing are Hamich and a girl from District 1, and it is a bloody brutal fight. Uh, both receive injuries that could be fatal. Uh, Hamich gets disarmed and flees through the woods, holding his intestines in, which, yikes. Um. I imagine that the doctors who operated on him in the hovercraft were having a hell of a time stitching him back together. Uh, Anyway, uh, Hamich runs uh, straight to the cliff and gets there just as the girl throws uh, the axe meant to deliver the killing blow. Uh, Hamich falls to the ground and the axe goes over the edge. So the girl just stands there and hopes she can just, you know, outlast Hamich because Uh, she also has a bloody eye, and she doesn't know about the force field, so when the axe comes flying back, it buries itself into her skull, and voila, Haymitch is the winner. Oh, by the way, um, dang, I forget what the YouTube channel is called, but, like, years back, um, uh, someone made, like, a fan short film about, you know, the Haymitch's Hunger Games, and it's really good, um, really well done for, you know, like, kids with a uh, cheap book ac- on a shoestring budget but but yeah I'll link it in the show notes in case you haven't seen it because every so often I like to watch it and I just now picture those two actors as young Hamish and Macy what was I saying okay mm. anyway back to the book and Katniss realizes that this is why she's never seen any reruns of Haymitch's games it's because he was never meant to use the force field as part of the arena because you know they don't expect the tribute to even think of doing it and you know of course it would be Haymitch who would think of doing that and you know using the force field is almost as bad as what Katniss did with the berries and once again we are keeping up the trend of you know victors from district 12 um uh, ruining the games <laughs> and therefore the capital never showing reruns because we because like all copies of the 10th hunger games were were uh, erased except for the one that dr gall kept so it, it it's hiding in an archive somewhere like there is record of lucy gray still out there so yeah obviously because you know the 10th hunger games was meant to be a big deal and then um it ended up backfiring on the Capitol made them look bad so they had to erase it as quickly as possible um then obviously haymitch um made the quarter quell look bad and and then katniss did it the previous year and spoiler alert she's about to do it again with this quarter quell so (laughs) gotta love district 12 victors for just causing chaos and by the way uh haymitch is also in the room so awkward um He doesn't get angry, he just opens a bottle and starts drinking again, and I'm just going to read to the end of the chapter, because, you know, it's good writing, as we've established. I guess I should be upset he's drinking again, but I'm preoccupied with another feeling. I've spent all these weeks getting to know who my competitors are without even thinking about who my teammates are. Now a new kind of confidence is lighting up inside me. Because I think I finally know who Hamish is, and I'm beginning to know who I am. And surely two people who have caused the capital so much trouble can think of a way to get PETA home alive. And time for another break. So when we come back, we will talk about Chapter 15 <music> And we're back. So Katniss is back in the Capitol, back in the remake center, ready to get ready for the tribute parade. She's been through this. She knows what to expect. Uh but what she was not prepared for was the emotional ordeal her prep team would put her through. Um and this also just shows like how much the prep team has grown to to really love Katniss as well cuz each of them cry at least twice and Katniss finds herself being the one to have to comfort and console them even though you know she's the one who's going to die because I guess the prep team were never properly taught how to be strong for someone else since their lives have always been so easy uh Katniss is still convinced that the capital citizens will get over you know their despair once the bloodshed starts but it it, it is interesting to realize that since they are so attached to their victors, because, cause, you know, they're not just, you know, random children that they barely know, it's almost like the capital's experiencing the Hunger Games like the rest of the country does. Uh, by the time she sees Cinna, Katniss is emotionally exhausted and irritable, and as soon as he walks in the room, Katniss says, I swear if you cry, I'll kill you here and now. And Cinna, without missing a beat, replies, had a damp morning. I love this man. So, Cinna tells Katniss not to worry about him, since um, he channels his emotions into his work, so no one gets hurt but him. And assures her that he'll talk to the team, so she won't have to go through that again. They eat lunch, and Cinna gets Katniss ready for the parade. Uh, the costume is, of course, stunning. Light reflects off of it to make it look like glowing embers, and I'm going to read the description that's at the top of page 207. He turns me toward a mirror so that I can take in the entire effect. I do not see a girl or even a woman, but some unearthly being who looks like she might make her home in the volcano that, de- in the volcano that destroyed so many in Hamish's Quell. The black crown, which now appears red hot, casts strange shadows on my dramatically made-up face. Katniss, the girl on fire, has left behind her flickering flames and bejeweled gowns and soft candlelight frocks. She is as deadly as fire itself. So then Katniss heads down to the remake center, but neither Peeta nor Hamich are there. And already the atmosphere uh, this year feel is different. Uh, the previous year, the tributes had all been glued to their chariots and barely spoke to anyone. Uh, this year looks more like a social gathering because all the victors, mentors, and tributes alike are standing in circles talking to each other. And Katniss, being the very relatable introvert that she is, does not approach any of them. She goes to her cherry instead and pets uh, one of the horses, which is a strategy I often use at parties. You know, find the nearest animal, play with them, and hope it means no one will talk to you. And almost every single time it fails, because some well-meaning but annoyingly over-friendly extrovert comes to talk to you. And in this case, that extrovert is Finnick, who I would be okay with approaching me. But anyway, uh, Katniss is not happy about this. Uh, We're once again reminded that Finnick is the youngest victor ever because he won at 14. He was also very popular with the audience while in the arena. He had no trouble getting sponsors and never wanted for anything. And even got a Triton, the most expensive, which is... Possibly the most expensive gift in Hunger Games history. And once he had that, you know, all over, he was the clear winner. And after he won and turned 16, Finnick became a famous heartbreaker. And uh, we'll we'll, we'll get more into that in Mockingjay, but uh, it's so much worse than the public image that Finnick puts out there. But anyway, uh, we're going to focus on this charming conversation between him and Katniss right now because... I love it, and it picks up on page 209, right after Finnick offers her a sugar cube. No thanks, I say to the sugar. I'd love to borrow your outfit sometime, though. He's draped in a golden net that's strategically knotted at his groin so that he can't technically be called naked, but he's about as close as you can get. I'm sure his stylist thinks the more Finnick the audience sees, the better. You're absolutely terrifying me in that getup. What happens to the pretty little girl dresses, he asked. He wets his lips just ever so slightly with his tongue. Probably this drives most people crazy, but for some reason all I can think of is old cray salivating over some poor starving young woman. I outgrew them, I say. Finnick takes the collar of my outfit and runs it between his fingers. It's too bad about this quell thing. You could have made out like a bandit in the capital. Jewels, money, anything you want. I don't like jewels, and I have more money than I need. "'What do you spend all all yours on anyway, Finnick?' I say. "'Oh, I haven't dealt in anything as common as money for years,' says Finnick. "'Then how do they pay for the pleasure of your company?' I ask. "'With secrets,' he says softly. He tips his head in so his lips are almost in contact with mine. "'What about you, girl on fire? Do you have any secrets worth my time?' "'For some stupid reason I blush, but I force myself to hold my ground. "'No, I'm an open book,' I whisper back.' Everybody seems to know my secrets before I know them myself. He smiles. Unfortunately, I think that's true. His eyes flicker off the off to the side. is coming. Sorry you have to cancel your wedding. I know how devastating that must be for you. He tosses another sugar cube in his mouth and saunters off. is beside me, dressed in an outfit identical to mine. What did Finnick dare want? He asks. I turn and put. My lips close to Peter's and drop my eyelids in imitation of Finnick. He offered me sugar and wanted to know all my secrets, I say in my best seductive voice. Peta laughs. Ugh. Not really. Really, I say. I'll tell you more when my skin stops crawling. Do you think we'd have ended up like this if only one of us had one? He asked, glancing around the other victors. Just another part of the freak show. Sure, especially you, I say. Oh, and why especially me, he says with a smile, because you have a weakness for beautiful things and I don't, I say with an air of superiority, they would lure you into their capital ways and you'd be lost entirely. Having an eye for beauty isn't the same thing as weakness, Peta points out, except possibly when it comes to you. How is it that Peta always knows the right thing to say on the spot, meanwhile I spend at least thirty minutes pondering how to a word by emails? But anyway, that's not important right now. It's parade time. Uh, Cinna and Portia are nowhere to be found. And once again, uh, time for another reading, even though we just had one, because I love this passage. Uh, It's on page uh, 212. I look up into those blue eyes that no amount of dramatic makeup can make truly deadly, and remember how just a year ago I was prepared to kill him convinced he was trying to kill me. Now everything is reversed. I'm determined to keep him alive, knowing the cost will be my own life, but the part of me that is not so brave as I could wish is glad that it's Peta, not Hamish, beside me. Our hands find each other without further discussion. Of course, we will go into this as one. The voice of the crowd rises into one universal scream as we roll into the fading evening light, but neither one of us reacts. I simply fix my eyes on a point far in the distance and pretend there is no audience, no hysteria. I can't can't help catching glimpses of us on the huge screen along the route. And we are not just beautiful, we are dark and powerful. No more. We star-crossed lovers from District 12 who suffered so much and enjoyed so little. The rewards of our victory do not seek the fans' favor, grace them with our smiles, or catch their kisses. We are unforgiving." and I love it getting to be myself at last. God, I love that part so much and it's and it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie as well, especially cuz in the movie like Katniss and Peeta just heart just like gla- dead on glaring at snow. It's great. And I'm excited to talk about it when we vent- when we finish this book and we do another movie talk. Okay. Um what's next? Okay, as they uh As I loop in the city circle, Katniss notices that some of the other stylists were inspired by Cinna and Portia and want to illuminate their tributes, though the district 10 tributes uh, dressed as cows with flaming belts makes very little sense. (laughs) Okay, uh, Snow gives a speech and also seems to fixate on Katniss, probably thinking about Lucy Gray. Uh, Once they're inside the training center, Katniss and... Peta finds Cinna and Portia, who congratulate them on their performance. Uh, Hamish is over by the District Eleven chariot as he waves Katniss and Pita over, and he introduces them to his friend Chaff, who won the games about thirty years ago, and and he only has one hand because he lost it during the games and guess turned down any offer for a new hand. Uh, the woman from. Eleven, who's the tribute, is Cedar, who's about 60 but still looks strong and probably helps that she never abused her body with drugs and alcohol. Uh, She hugs Katniss and while they embrace, Katniss asks about Thresh and Rue's families and Cedar confirms that they're still alive. And then Chad, for some fucking reason, thinks it's a good idea to throw his arm around Katniss and kiss her. Um, assault? Assault? Between this and Gail at the beginning of this book, like, the men of Pandem clearly need to take lessons on consent, but. Uh, okay, we're not gonna linger too long on this, mostly for my sanity. Uh, cause, you know, this country already has enough fucked up things going on in it. Uh, okay, um, then the capital attendants start to firmly direct everyone to the elevators Guess they don't like seeing the tributes being you know chummy with each other and they get to the elevator uh Katniss and Peeta are joined by someone and we are now introduced to the other best character in this book Joanna freaking Mason uh because both in the book and the movie she is one of like the standout characters and for good reason And also one of the most tragic, but we're not going to get into that yet. Um, Joanna complains about her outfit and how District 7 tributes have been dressed as trees for years. And while they're in the elevator, Joanna chats with Peta about his paintings uh, while taking her clothes off. And she only keeps the slippers on like the chaotic queen that she is. Uh PETA finds the whole thing hilarious. Katniss is mortified. And as I so often do, when there are only a couple pages left in a chapter, uh I'm gonna read them for you guys. So gonna start on page two fifteen. So it starts with right after uh Joanna and everyone else is off the elevator. Katniss says, What? I say, turning on him as we step step out on our floor. It's you, Katniss. Can't you see? He says. What's me, I say. Why they're all acting like this. Finnick with his sugar cubes and Chaff kissing you and that whole thing with Joanna stripping down. He tries to take on a more serious tone, unsuccessfully. They're playing with you because you're so, you know. No, I don't know, I say, and I really have no idea what he's talking about. It's like when you wouldn't look at me naked in the arena even though I was half dead. You're so pure he fa- he says finally i am not i say i've been practically ripping your clothes off every time there's been a camera for the last year yeah but i mean for the capital you're pure he says clearly trying to mollify me for me you're perfect they're just teasing you no they're laughing at me and so are you i say no Peter shakes his head but he's still suppressing a smile I'm seriously rethinking the question of who should get out of these games alive when the other elevator opens. Hamish and Effie join us, looking looking pleased about something. Then Hamish's face grows hard. What did I do now, I almost say, but I see he's staring behind me at the entrance to the dining room. Effie blinks in the same direction, then says brightly, Looks like they've got you a matching set this year. I turn around and find a the red-head AVOX girl who tended to me last year until the games began. I think how nice it is to have a friend here. I notice that the young man beside her, another AVOX, also has red hair. That must be what Effie meant by a match set. Then a chill runs through me because I know him too. Not from the capital, but from years of having easy conversations in the hob, jo- joking over greasy say soup. And that last day, watching him lie unconscious in the square while the life bled out of Gale, our new Avox is Darius. Uh, what the fuck? Also classic Suzanne. Uh, We have a nice lighthearted moment and then an axe drops. So we'll unpack all of that next time. Yep, so with that being said, uh... This is the end of the chapter and the end of the episode. So like I said uh, at the beginning, uh, next episode will be a bonus episode where I do the five seconds of summer book tag with Sarah because we pre-recorded it this weekend and I don't want to do any work next week because next weekend's my birthday. Woo! I will be 25 next time you guys hear from me. Wow. That's, that's great. Uh, 25 feels like a like a the first like really like grown-up age and i'm like ah so slightly panicking over that but i have a fun weekend plan so i'm mostly looking forward to it but yes thank you guys so much for listening so after the bonus episode um when we get back to regular episodes it will be what's the numbers so it'll be chapter 16 to 18 yes i can count <laughs> <laughs> but thank you everyone so much uh for listening uh please you know uh subscribe comment that way leave reviews that way you know uh, it gets boosted this pod- c- podcast gets boosted and more people can fi- can find it and listen to it because I really love doing this podcast and Of course, you know, all my socials are linked in the show notes, the Instagram, my YouTube channel where I occasionally make bonus content and, you know, the, and then the cursed clock app. (laughs) I like referring to TikTok that way, the cursed clock app. But yeah, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you all have a great day slash night and I will talk to you next time. Bye.